Harry Potter one disappoints me, though. That's because you're a muggle. That's true. <laughs> I, I didn't like Neville, actually, so it would have been a terrible <laughs> twist. But Well, he would have been cooler then. He would have been different, right? Yeah, yeah. fair enough. Orrery in New York City. I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 45 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about creating, using, and fulfilling prophecies. But first, the party faces down another fiendish overlord in the Morning Glory campaign, and the combat oracle already knows she's won the battle in the Character Creation Forge. So, we don't have a DMG review for you this week, but we will have one next week. We will be reviewing Visions of the Vault Volume 1 by Arcana Games. Yeah, this is focused on magic items, so it'll be a new product category for us. If you have seen something on the Dungeon Masters Guild that you want us to review, or if you've created something that you want us to take a look at, you can send it to at TPTCast on Twitter or TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. Yeah, and we would really appreciate if anyone out there finds anything that they like or that they think needs some extra attention, send that to us. It is extremely hard to find content. That's one of the issues with the DMs Guild, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Is uh, It's great if you want to find stuff by Matt Mercer. It seems to be at the top of all the charts, but it's hard to find anything else. Yeah, I'll also say it's really difficult to find material created by underrepresented portions of the community. I actually was looking really hard for something created by a woman. Man, that was tough. (laughs) So if you are a woman who has created anything for the Dungeon Masters Guild, please especially reach out to us. All right, where are we in the Morning Glory campaign? Well, the party had just finished their massive shopping trip in the metropolis of Iolacar and was now headed toward the Harvest of Pain to confront the vestige of Katashka the Gatekeeper, the embodiment of undeath. I believe we were looking for her heart. Yes. The piece of prophecy that the party had at this point was Mirthless Jester's frozen heart torn from palest jail. So they had teleported to a windswept marshy savanna, on the outskirts of what they believed was the Harvest of Pain, and the dragons had told them from this point, simply go west, and you'll know when you're getting there because, well, you'll meet the dragon wraiths. Yeah. Which were fun for me to make because they were basically just shadows that I combined with a dragon from the monster manual and... Shadow Draco Liches. Yeah. Charming. Charming. Real nice folks. The party fought through them relatively easily. I mean, they weren't supposed to be a huge battle it was just really more about instilling dread and then the sense that the entire area was cursed in some way but at this point the party knew their goal so all that i really wanted out of this session was for them to get there and then achieve it or fail spectacularly oh yeah that's always nice uh yeah winner winner lose <laughs> one, one of those yeah you know i mean that's what i planned for this session save or die yeah <laughs> So as they traversed the terrain, it got rockier, and they eventually found themselves in a wide and winding canyon. The floor was littered with pale bones of what they determined were many different types of chromatic dragons. How do we know what kind of dragon they were from their bones? Very high nature checks. (laughs) (laughs) Not arcana? also those (laughs) aren't all dragons the same on the inside (laughs) nope (laughs) (laughs) turns out there's a slight color to their bones speciation (laughs) it's a thing (laughs) so we eventually get into the final area of Mm -hmm. this canyon within which lies katashka's heart and a few guardians who were none too happy to see us so it's interesting that you say a few there were dragon wraiths which were basically minions not the 4e version but you know lower level creatures that were basically just speed bumps but there was really only one guardian it was the spirit of 
the Draco Lich that just kept re-inhabiting different piles of bones each time you put it down. Yeah, like I said, a few. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part about that was uh, I planned that every time it inhabited a new pile of bones, it recharged its breath weapon. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> that didn't bother me as brand because I wasn't anywhere near this problem. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. So we elected to divide and conquer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as the more melee-centric members of the party kept smashing the pile of bones and then taking the brunt of a randomly determined breath weapon in the face... Brand and Lou, the warlock, went exploring yeah. some of the nooks and crannies of the canyon. Correct. And came upon a relatively small cavern in which they found a very intact dragon skeleton. Yeah, so we knew roughly what we were looking for, and we I think we were also told not to touch it. <laughs> that was that was imparted upon us <laughs> a last bit of wisdom from the chamber. <laughs> Hence the reason Lou and I went, I believe, was to telekinesis Mm -hmm. the heart uh so we figured that we had stumbled upon it remove the heart with telekinesis start heading back towards the group which are now attempting to beat a retreat to us while being chased by an angry spirit of a draco lich that keeps inhabiting new sets of bones yes yes and so in this sort of benny hill moment we're trying to figure out where is the best place for all of us to meet in the same round and not get crushed by a breath weapon one of you actually dropped Katashka's heart, and then Bahar picked it up. And then you found out why you weren't supposed to touch it. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Massive necrotic damage. Yeah. And then his bag of holding exploded. Oh, he tried. He dumped oh, it into he his, bag his bag of holding. He was holding. like, oh, this hurts. Yeah. And then his bag of holding exploded. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then back to telekinesis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's sorcerers. You're in charge of telekinesis. <laughs> it was this great moment of Brand had a teleport ready. And he could have just teleported away with some of the party members and the heart at virtually no risk to himself. But he would have abandoned probably two members of the party. Yeah, I probably would have had to come back and resurrect them later. It's just, you know, it's just more red tape. See, see character growth. Brand, <laughs> Brand if I abandon them, then I will come resurrect them. <laughs> well, I, it depends on who got left behind. <laughs> but he didn't, he didn't leave anyone behind. Yes, instead we decided to all meet in the middle and hold hands mm-hmm. desperately quickly so that we could cast teleport. It only worked out because Lou's creepy symbiont gave her extra reach and then I think sort of reached out 10 feet and grabbed the last person, completing the link in the chain yeah, and allowing think, all of you to teleport away. Yeah, she basically her familiar <laughs> was, right. was the magic Her link. creepy tentacle familiar. <laughs> right. Yeah, great old one warlock. <laughs> right. <laughs> And then you disappear. Yeah, and we reappeared in a quite surprising place, I think, for most of the party. Where was that? I don't know. We'll find out next week. Perfect. So this week, our main topic is prophecies. Fitting that we were just completing part of ours as we now come to discuss the topic overall. That's right. Prophecies are a really iconic staple of... Well, fiction and, of course, mythology, and because of that, RPGs. The idea of foretelling the future really resonates with people in general, and so it makes sense that they show up a lot in the stories that we're telling that are also supposed to make us feel similar ways. Yeah, I love that people just throughout history have this natural inclination to make themselves want to feel more important than they are. (laughs) So it's like we ordain prophecies so that certain people can stand out and and feel like they aren't just one amongst billions of people who've ever lived and will live. (laughs) And then it forces some sort of semblance of order. I know what will happen. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Really? I'm just high on volcano fumes. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Prophetic cave. Hmm geothermal anomaly right (laughs) okay but in game wait no we're not done talking about stochastic variables yet (laughs) i just i have to find meaning in this random probability distribution (laughs) just stare long enough right (laughs) all right after you've built your uh your monte carlo simulation for your Mm -hmm. role-playing game then (laughs) what this episode we're going to talk about how to use prophecy, how to make them effective in your game and for your players, and how to write and create them. And in some ways, we've kind of been doing this all along with the Morning Glory recap. 
because I think you've used prophecies about as many ways as they can be used. Pretty much. So there's several uses for prophecy. The first most obvious one is that they can be predictive. And this is usually what people think of when you're talking about a prophecy, right? It's the Old Testament prophets. Old guy stands on a mountain and says, this thing is going to happen, and then that thing happens. Yeah, preferably you write it down. <laughs> so you can prove it and be like, <laughs> right, look, exactly. I was right. Look, yeah, I mean, it's like a thing that happened here. This is really useful when laying the groundwork for uh, a campaign because it gives the party either something that they're striving for, right? They want to make this prophecy come true or it gives them something to dread because they're really trying to avoid it they're attempting to avert the outcome of this prophecy right and of course the natural risk here of being a predictive prophecy you don't want to railroad your players Mm -hmm. into the prophecy right so when we get into how to do the prophecy that's kind of one of the things we'll keep an eye on right you need to balance it between that and making sure it has some sort of teeth right otherwise if it's too easy to avoid what was the point of it exactly But it's a really nice way to set the backdrop. This isn't particularly predictive, but if you think about the Lord of the Rings and the rhyme about the One Ring, it tells you a lot about the story. It really sort of sets the stage, and it does explain the intent. You mean the One Ring to rule them all? One Ring to find them, One Ring to bring them all in in the darkness, bind them. Oh, whatever. Sure. (laughs) Nerds. (laughs) I guess you didn't finish that book. <laughs> it's more of a prophecy in the Silmarillion, right? We'll right, right. It, later. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Another book I didn't read, just FYI. <laughs> well, it brings us to another usage for prophecies is it can be exposition. So that rhyme is prophecy in the Silmarillion and then exposition later on in The Lord of the Rings. It explains why something already happened. Uh, One prophecy that I think of that does this really well is from the Harry Potter books. So, spoiler if you've been waiting like 15 years to read them. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. Uh, No, sorry. (laughs) Spoilers have expired. (laughs) And hold the door. (laughs) So, the first prophecy from Professor Trelawney. The one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord approaches. Born to those who have thrice defied him, born as the seventh month dies. And the Dark Lord will mark him as his equal, and he will have power the Dark Lord knows not. And either must die at the hand of the other, for neither can live while the other survives. This isn't revealed until book five, by which point events in the prophecy have already come to pass. And all the children who started the series are now adults. (laughs) (laughs) We need some depth. (laughs) Much like your players. I say that sort of tongue-in-cheek, but that's true for a campaign, too, where... This is happening over making sense of events that have already happened in your campaign, Mm -hmm. right? So you literally started out fresh-faced, wide-eyed, and now you've seen the campaign world, you've interacted it, and you've changed it. You need to make some sense of that. It's a really good way to help explain why events that were previously very confusing or totally unrevealed happened in the first place. And, you know, there's a certain amount of retconning that can be done with this. (laughs) Why did that happen? Oh, I wrote a prophecy um, a long time ago that that was fulfilling. <laughs> okay, J.K. Rowling, right. what are you doing in my table? <laughs> or maybe I wrote it this morning. Right. <laughs> but that is a good way of answering the questions of what set events in motion. Yeah, it can be a really great reveal, like a twist. Oh, man, this is part of a larger event. Yeah, and that's that's the other key, right, is you want to use these types of things to lay the next plot hook to advance the story so by answering a question you're also introducing a new one right it can explain things in the story that stuck out but didn't have a rationale before like why is the lich really interested in the baron's fourth daughter specifically right and ideally that's something that you've been setting up for a while and it hasn't been explained or maybe the party has overlooked it, and now once they discover the scrap of prophecy, suddenly things come into focus. Oh, she's probably the target of the assassination that we've been looking for. We've been protecting her dad the whole time. Ugh, idiots. Yes. <laughs> oh, wait. Uh, is she going into that dark cave with that stranger that we didn't know about right now? Is that is that what she... Should we, should we go catch up to oh, her? Oh, we sent her there Do to we be safe. screw this up right. entirely? Uh, the answer to that is always, always yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that depends. Do we have a DM? (laughs) (laughs) Lastly, prophecies can be prescriptive. They can tell the party exactly what to do. 
And this I found super useful. This is the whole reason that I wrote the third morning glory prophecy that we've been talking about in the last few episodes. We're getting to the final arc of the campaign. I needed to start corralling the objectives of the party in a particular direction so that we could actually finish out the campaign. I mean, I think you did it really artfully because, again, another risk of doing anything prescriptive, you risk railroading the players. Mm -hmm. And the way that you did it was by taking the motivations and things that our characters cared about and tying them all together so that we were all ready to run in one direction or, you know, six directions, whatever it was. But we knew what we had to do now to complete our individual objectives. Yeah, and the great thing about a prophecy is that it's a deus ex machina that almost always has player buy-in. Well, <laughs> you know you know what you're saying about that retconning thing? <laughs> well, you don't say you retconned it. You know, or you know when you're filling in the plot holes that are just a little too obvious? <laughs> but yes, I, I agree. Overall, right, the prophecy is, is a great way to introduce that DM fiat through a trope that's already accepted in most canon. Right. I mean, when used with a relatively light hand. I mean, this was the point in the campaign where you guys wanted direction because, of course, you needed to start tying up those those loose threads. Right, right. So, okay. Yes, there are fiendish overlords. What do we do about that? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we got a pretty good idea that we need to kill some people. <laughs> <laughs> that are unkillable. Right. Like, <laughs> we're going to hurt some people. <laughs> you can't talk about it later. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, of course, the prophecy or a prophecy can answer the unanswerable. Right? I had already presented this problem. You can't kill immortal beings. Well, okay, what do we do about that? The only thing that really makes sense is something that's sort of outside the bounds of the rules. Right, right. And prophecies really allow you to break rules. Yep. So let's talk about actually creating a prophecy because it's all good and well to talk about how to use them, but I'm a person. I have creative limitations. <laughs> how do I create a prophecy? Yeah, let's get into the nitty gritty. So let's talk about the format. The easiest thing to do is to just have it written down because you can give it as a handout to your players and then they can try to figure it out all on their own. You can also just tell it to your players and let them transcribe it. And I kind of like the spoken prophecy because you really get to get into the wordplay then. If you want to be that kind of DM, right? (laughs) And you want your prophecy to be difficult. I mean... You should be. It's fun. You know, it took you guys a good six months before someone went, oh, maybe it's the other morning. Oh. (laughs) You know, we've been talking about the light of morning for six months. We've also been talking about the day of morning. Maybe those are the same thing. Mm. That was a really cool moment for me to sort of watch watch it dawn on you guys. Like, oh, this prophecy is about that. Yeah. (laughs) that must have been great (laughs) i liked it (laughs) the problem is you didn't really tell us that we were on the right track (laughs) so we didn't get that payoff until much later (laughs) well if you recall it was the very first one that was just sort of laying the groundwork and was supposed to sit with you guys for a long time right first 10 levels got it (laughs) (laughs) so other than the method of delivery you've also got rhyme scheme to think about yeah if you're going to rhyme pick something pretty simple and natural you don't want it to be too distracting so you know a b a b a a b b something almost juvenile a b a b c d c d e f e f a a b b no what's the last couplet in the sonnet i don't know whatever (laughs) it's been a while that's rule number three no sonnets Yeah, I mean, you don't have to go for a complicated rhyme scheme, and there are plenty of options that don't have any rhyme at all. Pleasantly antiquated word choice is already going to sound like a prophecy. It doesn't necessarily have to rhyme. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you have stuff like haiku. Mm -hmm. Any other lyrical forms of of prose. It could also just be pure prose. That's perfectly fine. The Harry Potter one that we did earlier, there's no rhyme in there at all. It's mostly just fragmented sentences. All right, so let's spend a little bit of time talking about meter. Just the, the slightest amount, because I'm, I'm already falling asleep from <laughs> English class. All right, there's absolutely no need to be strict about the meter. Please don't do any scansion. It is absolutely going to be wasted work for you. Your players are not going to notice this. Yeah, uh, iambic pentameter, the meter that you already know from every song ever. Uh-huh. 
just use that <laughs> or don't or don't yeah it's a little sing-songy right yeah exactly but really getting more complex than that isn't going to be worth your time i mean like any regular pop song just make sure that it flows well when you're saying it yeah hip-hop verse done totally fine <laughs> it's all you need right also again no sonnets right <laughs> <laughs> okay here you can use sonnets if this is not the only time that you write a sonnet if for a living you are typically writing sonnets you may do this actually please send all of your sonnets to totalpartythrill at gmail.com <laughs> i would love to read your prophetic sonnets if you send a prophetic sonnet we'll read it on the air i yeah i agreed i've signed up for this we are committed <laughs> I will read it on the air in the voice of your choice. Spoiler, I only do three. <laughs> and then your dialect. It is nice to throw in a few archaic these and thous here and there, but don't get too flowery. Don't go too archaic or you're really going to sound like a Renaissance fair reject. <laughs> wow, that's cuts me to the core. Did you knock it in? Uh... But I was a beautiful puck. <laughs> I did play puck actually. Did you really? I have played puck. Yeah. Like a middle not sc- bottom. Like a middle school play. <laughs> yeah. You strike me as an Oberon. Eh, well, you, you know, it is what it is. It is. The next thing that I find very important when creating a prophecy is vagueness. Yeah, and your amount of vagueness you want to be proportional to the amount of time you want the players to be working on this prophecy exactly first prophecy in morning glory a whole year super vague. super vague yeah like lots of wordplay vague meanings those sorts of things if you want them to be acting on it and solving it in the next two months you need to be a little more direct right so what are some ways to add vagueness because everyone can be very heavy-handed naturally right right well you and i both really like the wordplay Homonyms and homophones are really great here. Words that are written or sound the same, but can have multiple meanings. Morning, obviously, we've already talked about. Another good one, rest. It can mean all of the others. It can mean taking a nap. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You can also rest, control, right? W-R-E-S-T. So, yeah, that's a great one. Words that have double meanings. Cleave can mean to cling to. It can also mean to split. I did not know that about cleave, actually. (laughs) Yeah, it's very useful if you want to absolutely confuse people. (laughs) Right. (laughs) If you want somebody to carry a dictionary in addition to their DMG monster manual. You want them to use those knowledge checks. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Fun note, inflammable and flammable mean the same thing. Not useful for prophecies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) And then certain word combinations. So this is from an old Encyclopedia Brown mystery. A narrow flight versus a narrow flight. So a narrow flight, as in a flight of stairs that is not very wide, versus an arrow flight, the distance which an arrow travels when fired from a bow. Yeah, I like that one. That, yeah. that one already has like a fantasy feel to it. Yeah, I, totally. I, can, I can already think about how they think we're talking about where it is and I'm talking about what it is. Mm-hmm. Right? I think the exact way that it was used was Encyclopedia Brown says... It's just an arrow flight away. And the thing that tipped him off was the perpetrator said, well, then go outside and get it. Instead of the much more obvious, well, then just go upstairs and get it. Ah, gotcha. The other thing you can do is use phrases and sentences that are open to multiple interpretations, right? So an example might be the place between two worlds. This could easily be, you know, a demiplane, a portal room. This could be a half-elf's house. Right. One parent is human, one parent is elven, and the two cultures either collide or mesh well in this one particular area. Right, right. It could be a Lagrange point in a sci-fi campaign between two celestial bodies. Yeah, I also like the idea of it being uh, like purgatory between heaven and hell. Mm -hmm. So you have to die, but you, you can't ascend or descend yet. It could be the plane of limbo. Planescape's back, baby. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, any kind of vagueness lets you retcon after the fact, right? So the place between two worlds, maybe it doesn't have a 
definitive meaning when you write it, and then the actions of the party determine which one it actually is. It's Schrodinger's prophecy. Yeah, yeah. I like <laughs> I like Schrodinger. He yeah. he had good ideas for prophecies. <laughs> In some ways, it could also be like a Chekhov's prophecy, right? <laughs> like, if the players introduce the fact that somebody has to die in the first act, well, <laughs> by golly, somebody better die in the third act. <laughs> it's up to them. And then names are really important. The way that you use names when you're writing a prophecy. So, you know, use nicknames. Don't use the most obvious name for a person or a location or an item. Yeah, even that Harry Potter prophecy, it says the Dark Lord. Mm -hmm. It doesn't name Voldemort. Right. It doesn't name he who must not be named. (laughs) (laughs) The Gorgon's Nest. It's sort of a double nickname, right? The the Gorgon is the symbol of House Caneth, and the nest is where House Caneth is based, and that is Seer. Right. Even if these aren't adding vagueness to the prophecy, they're still making it seem a little more circumspect, right? So it lends credence to the prophecy as a prophecy. Yeah, even the prophecies that I wanted you guys to figure out very quickly, I I didn't say, it's cube. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Naive six-faced golden child, you guys figured out pretty quickly. Right. But it sounded better. And a lot of what you're aiming for when you are writing you know this verse or just a a few lines together is something that sounds good it's good to the ear always read your prophecy out loud to yourself yeah or to your cat whatever yeah see if they screech or right (laughs) use those descriptive terms rarely use actual proper nouns agreed okay so we've convinced you to use a prophecy You've written your prophecy. And it's amazing. It's the best prophecy that you have written yet. Also your first. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, (laughs) aim small, miss small. (laughs) Sometimes if you do something bad enough the first time, you never get asked to do it again. (laughs) That sounds like a Cohen that you should build a monk character around. (laughs) Throwback. Calvin and Hobbes has all of the best monk character inspirations. (laughs) So we have our prophecy now. How do we deliver it to the players? Or to the characters, rather? There's always the traditional route, half a prophet. (laughs) Well, yes, they do share a route. (laughs) (laughs) Prophets make really great NPCs because they've got their own motivations. Maybe they didn't tell the whole prophecy. Maybe they lied about the prophecy. Yeah, I love that idea. The idea that the prophet has more than he's offering and the party will be undone by the untold part of the prophecy. Yeah. Half a prophecy is always worse than none. Yeah, and and your (laughs) twist is always going to be whoever it is that you're facing off against is going to tell you the other half of the prophecy (laughs) at the worst possible Would you like to know how it ends? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bit tropey, but I like, you know, the gypsy, the Vistani fortune teller, who you're never quite sure if you can trust them. Right. Is this even a real prophecy? Mm -hmm. Or is this just, is she just reading the room right now and telling us what we want to hear? Right. It's a really nice opportunity to introduce a complication for the party. You know, what does this prophet want in return for giving you this information? Yep. Or it can be an entire quest just to get a prophecy in the first place. If you think about Order of the Stick, right? That you'd have to travel to go meet the kobold oracle. Yeah. And then the other thing, figure out why this NPC can't just explain the prophecy. Mm. Right. If it's something they've been sitting on, there has to be a reason that they're not just telling the party what it means. Right, whether it's a matter of principle or they don't want to put themselves out of a job or they don't understand it themselves and they're simply just a conduit. Exactly. You could also have a prophetic PC. But Ishan, there's no mechanics for that. What do I do? You could overpay for a broken homebrew. Yeah, so we don't need to tie this to a mechanical class feature is the point here, right? right? This is totally a story character development element. It it doesn't matter what system you're playing. Yeah, any PC can have some kind of premonition, whether it's your Psyker character in 40K, any of your arcane classes, someone who is plugged into the mesh in a sci-fi game. Somebody who has to sleep at night. Yeah, that subconscious of yours. (laughs) (laughs) Brains. Yeah. (laughs) That can give you your own unreliable 
profit as well, mm-hmm. right? The same way that you might not trust an NPC, you might not trust yourself. I love having a PC who has some sort of prophetic ability because that is just an obvious way for you to feed the party information that you want or occasionally misinformation in a way that already has tons of buy-in. Yeah. Although I will say, if it actually is due to a class feature, like someone chose some sort of prophetic ability, your GM will give you clues to what may happen in the future. Are you talking about the legend lore spell? (laughs) (laughs) Or even other systems, right? Right. A lot of different mechanical abilities where you get a glimpse of the future or something like that. If someone's actually chosen that over another more useful ability... I wouldn't use it to lead the PC astray because it just really sucks to have your class feature turn against you. Right. You had mentioned this earlier, but you can have an enemy or even the main enemy be the one who is prophetic, be the one who even delivers that prophecy, completes it or delivers it entirely. Again, think of why that enemy or BBEG is willing to deliver the prophecy. Right. Because I guarantee your players are going to wonder. <laughs> like, they are definitely not going to trust the motivations of somebody they've been trying to kill. On the flip side, if it's obvious that the enemy didn't have a say in whether that prophecy was delivered, they might trust it more, particularly if it's good news for them. Yeah, we had Behemoth give us a prophecy, our second prophecy in the Morning Glory campaign. He just opened his mouth and spouted it off in a different voice. So we <laughs> knew it wasn't him, and then he would really downplayed it afterwards. <laughs> If I'd really thought about it, I could have had to make some deception checks and yeah. just screw with you guys. Well, I think I think we did try and incite him because he was like, I don't know. What are you guys talking about? It's like, <laughs> huh? What? It's like, wait, I we, didn't do that. We know he lies all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you gave us a prophecy. <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I, that, <laughs> I, that wasn't. doesn't sound like something I would do. <laughs> I feel like I would have remembered doing that. <laughs> are you guys screwing with me? You're did, screwing with did me. Did you pay me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody drink my blood again. Because <laughs> you should. <laughs> I just, I black out sometimes when you drink my blood. It just, you know, it's so much fun. <laughs> the other thing you can do is have a secret ally or a secret enemy provide the prophecy. Yeah, maybe you just don't want to decide. Yeah. <laughs> Where to come from? Uh, uh, yeah, you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it got delivered. But hey, the wax hasn't been broken on the letter. So it must be real. Right. <laughs> You alluded to this before, but dreams are a great way to deliver a prophecy, mainly because it can be done not with words, but with a series of images that you describe. Sometimes what happens is a person appears in the dream and then tells you something. Yeah, exactly. Literally a message sent in a dream. Right. The other way to do dreams, right, is focused on those images. So whatever your prophecy is, maybe it's foretelling the future by a glimpse of the future. Yeah, this was pretty common in the Old Testament. Seven fat cows and then seven lean cows. And then, you know, later it is explained as a prophetic vision. Yeah. The other thing I think that works in fiction is a glimpse of the future without enough context to understand what happens, right? So, for example, you might see a crown placed on the head of one of your allies. Mm -hmm. And you don't know if that's because they have royal blood and are an heir to that crown or because they've just beheaded the king and will <laughs> mockingly put his crown on their head as they're committing you know, the ultimate betrayal. It's a little harder in games <laughs> because you don't really control the PCs in that regard, but you know, it's vague enough that uh, it can still have an impact on the game. Yeah, it's easier to do with NPCs, but I sort of think about the perspective, if you will, is is zoomed all the way in. All the way in, yeah. <laughs> and then later when it happens in real life and your party members are watching it occur, they can see the full context of the scene and see what's right. actually going on. Right. Or if you think of, like, take a scene from Star Wars when Darth Vader strikes down Obi-Wan. Mm. If Luke had seen that in a, in a dream and, you know, had a prophetic vision of that happening, he might have done something to try and prevent it, even though Obi-Wan knew that had to happen in order for the events of Star Wars to unfold properly. Fortunately, Luke was a terrible Jedi at that point. Right. (laughs) Hadn't taken visions yet. Come on. (laughs) Everyone knows you take that at third level. You can also have a, a prophecy that is just extant. 
it is. It is around. It is either there to be discovered or maybe everyone knows it. It exists as a nursery rhyme that people tell their children. Right. No one really believes it. And it probably has historically lots of incorrect interpretations, Mm -hmm. right? Lots of warriors have taken up the banner to fight for the cause of the prophecy only to find out that they were incorrect. (laughs) I'm reading through Black Company right now uh, because I, you know, I really love long novel series. (laughs) And that's, that's one of the prophecies that sort of sets the events in motion is the sort of long running, long standing prophecy that's long been known. And, uh, well, whatever. It's an old series. So in the first book, the antagonists of the Black Company, right, are are waging a war with a false idol. (laughs) They know they haven't fulfilled the prophecy yet, but they're trying to maintain their motivation of their troops. So they put up a false idol uh, that would seem to fulfill the prophecy. It backfires. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that happened a lot in the Wheel of Time series, the false dragons. Oh, right. right? Yeah. People who sort of intentionally prop themselves up or take on the trappings that would seem to fit a particular prophecy. Yeah. Yes, I am the reincarnation of this famous hero. Yeah, good old-fashioned hucksters. (laughs) (laughs) It's a huge part of the Eberron setting, right? There is a massive, ever-changing, draconic prophecy that guides pretty much everything that happens, and it's really a tool for the GM. Yeah, it's just DM fiat, just... Mm -hmm in canonical form right anything can be explained yeah well it's nice that you actually wrote out those prophecies because i think the way it's written and and one way it could be used is just oh yeah yes we saw this in the in the draconic prophecy Mm -hmm. sorry we didn't tell you about it but it was there (laughs) (laughs) or you get the interpretation of the prophecy and maybe the interpretation is incorrect but whatever you weren't going to figure it out on your own anyway pcs (laughs) humanoids yeah (laughs) which brings us to our next point (laughs) research (laughs) one of my favorite things after giving you guys a scrap of prophecy was having you run to the library yeah that that became a theme of our later campaign was who's going to the library today (laughs) and the best part was depending on on your checks i could just apportion out the knowledge that i wanted you to have or that you needed to have to sort of get through the next arc or to make a decision at the crossroads of the plot that we had come to right you know obviously i wasn't giving you the the end game right lou saw the mark of death in the prophetic observatory but all you know is that it's the mark of death, not what that really means. Well, then we had to go research the mark of death. Exactly. And, you, right. know, you got to give us the whole setting background. Well, well, and, yeah. right. Oh, all the lore was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the players were like, oh, I kind of remember something about that. <laughs> what was that again? <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to have to change it now. <laughs> all right. And and as I alluded to, you can't have Chekhov's prophecy, right? It's uh, if, if you have a prophecy early on, Somehow it's got to come true. Or there needs to be a very obvious, believable reason that it didn't come true. Right. So what are sort of the end states for a prophecy? One of the easiest things to do is just make it completely unavoidable. The heavy railroad. Yeah. And that is if you want to impress upon the party that there are some things in the world that they can't change. Right. I'm not usually a fan of doing this on the party level. If I were going to have a prophecy that was unavoidable, I would have it affect NPCs or I would have it affect the world on like sort of a global scale. Right. Something that the PCs wouldn't have had a hope of stopping, but they did at least have advanced knowledge that it would occur. And then this sort of proved to them, oh, okay, like the prophecy was true. And then any other sort of scraps of prophecy they might get, maybe they can have more interaction with. Yeah. So we had this happen sort of in the morning glory campaign Mm -hmm. when we sort of time traveled back to the day of morning where we knew we couldn't avoid the day of morning happening and i have to say you have to be careful because as a player that can be very frustrating to know that no matter what you do it's gonna happen right and as a player you can almost become despondent just well why bother there were a couple (laughs) times when you guys were like maybe we should just sit here and wait wait it out yeah (laughs) (laughs) we literally were just like yeah, let's hang out. <laughs> Until there were others of you who were like, well, maybe we can stop it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
or cause it, you know, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Which brings us to our next point, self-fulfilling prophecies. (laughs) Those are absolutely the most fun. Yeah, I mean, I think that's sort of your holy grail of prophecy writing, right? Mm -hmm. And definitely the most difficult to pull off is when the act of attempting to either avert the prophecy or attempting to complete the prophecy is what drives the prophecy, not necessarily in the way that the party intends. Right. And this is where the vagueness that you wrote that prophecy with is going to help you out. Yeah. It's something that everyone's going to recognize, right? Oedipus killed his father and married his mother because people were always trying to avert it in the first place. Right. Voldemort picks Harry Potter. And so Harry Potter is the main character of the story and not Neville. And that's all down to Voldemort's choice. And then last but not least, of course, you have the averted prophecy. You managed to do whatever you needed to do to derail the conditions required to complete the prophecy. And these are usually the prophecies where at the very beginning they were sort of presented as a threat, as the worst case scenario. This is the end of the world when these things come to pass. Right. (laughs) This has a funny relationship with the unavoidable prophecy because if it's truly unavoidable, it becomes totally about risk mitigation or loss mitigation. So if we know the day that the earth will die, then we know how long we have to get off the earth, right? Right. Should we be building spaceships? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) In the real world, we would just argue over whether or not that day was real and then it would come to pass and we would all die. But definitely not real. You know, in my games, (laughs) I am a man of action. (laughs) Yeah, it can be the great culmination to a campaign to see a prophecy nearly fulfilled and then narrowly averted. Oh, yeah. Last minute, best minute. (laughs) (laughs) You see a lot of these in Wizards of the Coast adventures. Like, Tiamat is about to be summoned. She's about to come through fully formed. Oh, yeah. There's always a dozen cultists in a blood ritual (laughs) about to fulfill the prophecy. I mean, every prophecy includes a blood ritual. That's basically what causes a prophecy. Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) If the power is in the blood, it must be a prophecy. (laughs) Okay, so we've alluded to a couple of them as we went through, but what are some pitfalls of prophecies that you want to avoid when you're writing them and using them? I think really the most serious one is just sounding silly. You don't want to sound dumb. These are supposed to be things that, for the most part, your party and your players take seriously. Yeah, that's a good point. You don't want to be distracting from the game Mm -hmm. because the players can't take your prophecy seriously. You're better off just describing the prophecy than you are actually writing it. Yeah, that's totally fine to do. You know, explain it as a bit of exposition. Yep, there's a prophecy that says... Oedipus's prophecies don't really get written out verbatim. They're explained by some random shepherd. Yeah, it doesn't have to be Macbeth's prophecy every time. (laughs) (laughs) Although, really, you're aiming for Witch King of Angmar. Shane doesn't get that. No, that's a deep cut. (laughs) I played Puck. (laughs) Basically a hobbit. Uh Oh. It's not even Shakespeare. (laughs) I'm out. (laughs) Yeah, just avoid being schlocky. And err on the side of not railroading your party. You know, if you've decided this is an unavoidable prophecy, but your party is striving to make sure that it doesn't come to pass, don't just keep saying, nope, you fail. Nope, you fail. Yeah, it's only unavoidable as long as the PCs don't put their mind to it. Right. (laughs) Like, see how bought in they are to the prophecy and adjust its importance accordingly. Mm -hmm. And likewise, even if you think it's very obvious, if they're really struggling with it, it had better be important. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> validate all the mental legwork that they're putting into this with a, a meaningful outcome. And a nice reward. Oh, uh, yeah, that helps too. Do you hear that, Ishan? Is that the sound of me counting out my copper pieces? Uh, no. But I just received a prophecy. We're moving on to the character creation forge now. Averted. <laughs> <laughs> Before we avert it, we're going to talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you, and we know you will. 
You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous, M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us if you can't fit it into 140 characters at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. So this week on the Character Creation Forge, we promised you a combat oracle. So, what is a combat oracle? Because I have to confess, I don't understand it. (laughs) Fill me in with a prophecy. (laughs) Oh, I gotta go write it. I'll be back in eight days. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Stupid job. (laughs) It's a melee character that uses their prophetic visions and their insight into the future to be better at fighting hand-to-hand they've got some minor precognition abilities basically okay. okay so so who would be an example of this in fiction certain kinds of jedi certainly oh uh, okay sure or i think so like a, a jedi with a higher ground uh well no they just win no matter oh, what. oh right because they yeah. have the, yeah forgot. i mean even the jedi with the lower ground should be able to see he has the higher ground he's gonna win right you're going to lose all four limbs in one swipe right <laughs> Forget it, Anakin. <laughs> what kind of somersault was that? It's kind of... a lousy one. Four limbs but no head lost. A <laughs> <Yeah>. just... <laughs> remarkably inefficient one. It was a pike dive, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, think of a whirling dervish, the kind of character that works themselves into almost a prophetic haze, a, a frenzy, and... They maybe even lose sight of their immediate physical surroundings, but they gain insight into the movements of their enemies. They know what they're going to do before the enemy even knows what they're going to do. Okay. So what's our build? Well, we're building toward a particular ninth level spell that we haven't actually used as the basis for any other character creation forge build thus far. Are you talking about foresight? I am, because it's such a good spell. What does Foresight do, Ishan? It's a ninth level divination spell that gives a creature advantage on attack rolls, ability checks, and saving throws, and gives other creatures disadvantage on attack rolls against that creature for a full eight hours. Also, you can't be surprised. I mean, (laughs) obviously. (laughs) It does take a minute to cast, but once it's up, well, it's a ninth level spell, so it's very difficult to dispel, and there's no concentration required. You can cast it on yourself or someone else. We envision the combat oracle casts it on themselves as part of a meditative preparation for battle. Yeah, because he's selfish. Obviously. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you weren't selfish, you'd take Wish. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So there are a very limited number of ways to get Foresight into 5th edition right now, and that is having ninth level spells through a handful of arcane classes. There are no other class features that offer access to the spell. And so if you're going to play a melee character that has ninth level arcane spells, your only options are Bladesinger or Valor Bard. Now, we also want Divination Wizard, so that rules out Bladesinger. Yeah, because you can't have multi-class and two wizard. That's right. Oh, I guess you could do Blade Warlock, but also that's terrible. Um... So forget that. So we want Divination Wizard, but we only need a splash of it because that gives an ability that we've talked about at length before, Portent. Yeah, it's a super splash-happy ability to pre-roll d20s and use them in place of a roll that you make. Or that any creature you see makes. Exactly. The whole point of it is that you are seeing a glimpse of the future. Now, the Bard also gets all these inspiration dice. I think it's a really neat way to emulate using your foresight to give advice to party members. Right. Look out for that attack here, that yeah. sort of thing. He's he's going to go low. <laughs> right. The Valor Bard also gets combat inspiration, which lets you use those inspiration dice uh, for uh, extra damage or allies increasing their AC and things like that. So those are also excellent, you know, yelling a warning yeah. before an attack is even fired. Right, right. The other thing I really like to throw on this is the lucky feat. It's just good. It's just good. Yeah, I mean, if feats were easier to come by, we'd probably put it on everything. Yeah, yeah. If, if you end up on that last ASI and you're like, ah, I don't know what to do, lucky works. Right, should I put two in new intelligence? Better to be lucky than smart. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And you can just flavor those as more precognition, more minor glimpses into the future. So you end up having a 
melee bard that has a lot of party utility, has a half dozen rerolls or predictive dice per day. Yep. And you've got ninth level bard spells. Mm-hmm. You've got two attacks. Right. If you really need to, you can attack and cast a spell at the same time. Yep. All right. So how does your combat oracle become a combat oracle? I'm going to go with this Donny. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Bring it into Ravenloft. I think there's a certain amount of combat training required for most Vistani anyway. I mean, you need to be able to defend the caravan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you find yourself with the gift, you're going to use that in the most useful way possible. If you lived in a relatively safe non-nomadic community, you would probably be protected by guards and live a cloistered life. But you're not. You're always on the road. You're always on the lookout for danger. You know where I put the seer if I am a... A wagon master in a troop of Vistani, I put them at the front yep. uh, as the lookout. <laughs> <laughs> but ask them to, like, you know, watch the back, too. Yeah, <laughs> both, obviously. Yeah, don't, don't, don't forget about that. Maybe just keep circling around. Having visions. Also <laughs> sing. <laughs> I would flavor the bardic inspiration as almost um, muttering, uh, being able to see things that other people can't see. Oh, uh, okay. Seeing glimpses of alternate timelines. What about you? I would take a slightly different tact. I think my combat oracle, uh, keeping with the theme of prophecies, is actually a prophetic observer. So his performance is going to be more speech-oriented in reciting bits of the prophecy that he has observed, but that's sort of his role, is looking at the stars and divining their meaning and interpreting that into practical means. And when you're smart and gifted with this ability, but also quite capable in combat, you take your show on the road. Possibly <laughs> because you were prophetically ordained to do so. You saw in your own personal prophecy that you needed to seek out this band of adventurers and aid them. And thus, here you are. See, that's great for a player using prophecy is an excuse for them being out in the world yeah it's not handed down to you uh, by the gm right what's your backstory uh prophecy right (laughs) (laughs) i was born under the third moon (laughs) obviously (laughs) philistine (laughs) all right if you want to support the show the easiest way to do that is to leave us a five-star review on itunes and if you're willing to help us out we will read your five-star review on the air You can also find us on Stitcher. It's like a Pandora for podcasts. If you like or favorite us there, the algorithm will help other people find us. Uh, You can also find us on the newly launched Google Play, which does not allow reviews yet, but if they do, someday we'll check them. Same conditions apply. (laughs) What do we have planned for next week's episode? I'm super excited for this. We're talking about kaiju battles, fighting foes and monsters that are much larger than you. And in the character creation forge. We're building a hoplite. <laughs> Which is fighting in a phalanx much <laughs> larger than you. And thousands of Persians. Right. <laughs> All right, that's it for episode 45 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.